Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We also invite you to subscribe to our feed for new episodes delivered right to you through Apple Podcasts, Google Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or head right to nationalreview.com. Click on the podcast tab. You'll find our program and all the fine NR podcasts. Listen, share, and leave reviews as well. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you feeling? Well, I have to tell you, I, I'm feeling pretty good, but I have to say that I, I've got back problems because let me tell you man these accordions they weigh a hell of a lot more than you might think uh this 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 is this is just damn hard to pump i I, i'm going back to the tin whistle on the bright side i get my mandolin is quite light Uh, it's not a travel hazard at all fine you know know, i gotta tell you my citern uh you know (laughs) it's just very lightweight easy to play very portable find jeff on twitter at esoteric cd and our guest for today's program is a former Sirius XM host and producer, current podcast producer. You can follow him on Twitter at Alfred Schultz. And uh, coincidentally, that's his name, too. Alfred Schultz joins us here on Political Beats. Alfred, thanks for joining us. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for having me. But I have to let you know that uh, my electric drums, my drum machine, it's working fine, but I don't know if that's appropriate for this particular podcast <laughs> uh yeah no, no syndromes no syndromes right. for today yeah. my guitar is in tune and ready to go as well i don't know if i'll be using <laughs> that but thank you guys so much for having me i'm really excited to talk about this really fun cool band yes and before we get to our our band and your thoughts we first invite you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself what you've uh, been doing in the past and how you ended up a guest here on this whole program well, I uh, certainly weaseled my way on. I, I've been <laughs> listening to this show. I, I am a fan. But in terms of like politics and stuff, I uh, come from sort of a political family-ish. My father was into politics. We talked a lot at home. I had one of those presidential you know, books growing up and mm-hmm. would ask my mom what a wig was. And uh, not really sure what an anti-federalist was either. But uh, I, I so I sort of follow po- politics on a sort of peripheral level. But my uh, I think it was the 2000 election, that really, really close one with Al Gore and uh, George W. Bush. Now, remember that there is a generation of us that the biggest news story of all time for a long time for us was a close election. That's how innocent <laughs> times were back then. That yeah. and that, I guess, Princess Diana dying. But um, uh, those two things. And then we sort of, I guess, grew up kind of quickly after that. But um, yeah, so I got into politics, but I got into radio for music. And I always wanted to work at XRT in Chicago. It was a dream job. Good luck waiting, I, waiting 30 years for a position there to open up. Oh, man. It's, uh, that is still the dream leave. gig. Yeah. I know. They've had the same. Uh, I think Wolfman Jack is still a DJ there, which is <laughs> interesting. Which is but, funny because he's been dead for 20 years, I believe. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's still spending great records and uh, great prank phone calls. But, uh, yeah, so I, um, you know, but I studied uh, radio in college and ran the college radio station. But I, uh, you know, you sort of go where the work is. So I went into news and politics at uh, WGAN in Portland, Maine. And then I did uh, news and politics at WNYC for The Takeaway. And then for eight years, I was a producer at uh, SiriusXM, covered the conventions, uh, covered debates, uh, all of that really, really fun stuff, as you guys uh, might know about. And, Who doesn't um, love a good political debate? 
right? Um, I hosted a pop culture show on SiriusXM, but even on that show, we did not, we have like stayed away from politics, but we would have guests like Senator Leahy on talking about his experience with Batman. I don't know if you guys know this, but he's a- Yeah, he was in Batman, Batman Begin. Yeah, or uh, the, oh, the yeah, Dark Knight. Right. Yeah. He's in most Batman movies. Like that's a thing. He's in about, <laughs> you know, 75 percent of the Batman movies, which is a high number. And, uh, you know, we did like a punk rock DC episode with uh, Julie Mason and uh, Daniel Newhauser. So I've always sort of been in that world. I am uh, momentarily taking a hiatus from politics for my own mental health. And so I'm, uh, you know, smart man. Yeah, I have to say I'm pretty happy about that at the moment. I might reemerge in that sphere, but we shall see. But yeah, that's sort of my uh, super boring background in politics. Well, hopefully not super boring is the show today and the band that Alfred has chosen to discuss their uh, music and, and, and career. And that is the, uh, I guess, the Irish band made up a bunch of, uh, of Englishmen, for the most part, the Pogues, and appropriate around this time of the month when the episode will be Happy released. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. That's right. So, Alfred, we turn things back over to you. Tell us why you love the Pogues and how you got into them, and also why anyone else should care about this music. So the episode will not be boring, but this part certainly will be. But uh, I got into the Pogues because my oldest brother, Bill Schultz, who some people might know, uh, he was he was seven and a half years older than me, which I always like to point out. But he was... Um, he was weirdly into some like cool bands when we were like really little kids and he was into uh, the Pogues early on. And so he used to play them. And I was sort of fascinated by this uh, crazy drunken singer with the crazy teeth singing sort of punk rock songs that uh, were also folk. And I wasn't as well versed in music at the time, but they sort of were part of our household in weird ways. Obviously, we would play fairy tale of New York every Christmas, but it wasn't until probably late college or late high school, early college that I started to get really into the band. And uh, If I Should Fall From Grace With God was an album that I just spun all the time and I absolutely love it. Um, I got into them a lot. We had the, I remember the Shane McGowan DVD, If I Should Fall From Grace in college, and we watched that a lot. There was a local Irish band at the University of Maine that uh, would cover the Pogues a lot. And I, I, there's something about their the fusion of punk and folk and just the emotions. And, and I, I sort of mentioning the, the Shane McGowan's teeth and all those sort of cliches. That's the freak show. That is the entry uh, gateway drug to the band. And you, st you you come for that maybe initially, but you stay for the fact that he just was one of the greatest songwriters of his entire generation, I believe. And also, you know, one thing for me too, I, I love bands that just don't care, obviously, especially when you're, when you're in uh, high school and college and the Pogues right. just did not care what time they lived in. They did not, they weren't beholden to any trend. Growing up in the 90s, I hated the 80s. You know, I wasn't well versed enough to understand or, or like listen to the replacements at that time or, uh, you know, who's could do or even like the post-punk stuff. So, you know, for me, the 80s were just uh, electronic music. And when uh, the decade classic rock artists came to die and like the Jeff Linification of uh, certain artists. And, you know, so I, the Pokes were sort of entirely antithetical to that for me, and I absolutely love them. And to me, to this day, you know, I cherish Shane McGowan's songs and lyrics. Like, I truly do. And um, they're a part of my life. They're part of my family. They're a part of uh, my uh, a lot of my friends. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they just listen to the Pogues on St. Patrick's Day or Christmas. And I think that's a real shame. And I think that they are a band that you can listen to. Just like, uh, you know, you would The Clash. Do it often and do it loudly. Uh, the Pogues are amazing. And I hope people listening to this uh, 
we'll take some time and actually dig into their music. When you pissed yourself in Frankfurt and got sipped down in Cologne, and you heard the rattling stack trains as you lay there all along, Frank Ryan bought your whiskey in a prattle in Madrid, and you text some fucking blackshirt who was cursing all the yeats, and a sick bit of Coo Cullen, well, nail and say a prayer, but a ghost are rattling at the door and the devil's in that chair. <laughs> Houston Tavern, you screamed there was your shell But I wouldn't give you service, so you kicked the windows out They took you out and turned the street, kicked you in the brains So you went back then through about the door and did it all again And a sick bed out could kill him, well nail and say a prayer And the ghosts are rattling at the door and the devil's in the chair hey! the two things I want to point out here, first of all, um uh, for those who aren't aware, he, he, he kind of, you know, sort of mentioned it sideways. But if you were a fan of Red Eye, that Fox News late night show that I would stay up late at night at 2 a.m. to watch, uh, you know, you know, with Greg Gutfeld and Andy Levy and, uh, you know, Bill Schultz. That's the Bill Schultz he's talking about. That 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 weird freaky guy who who always got made fun of for having bad smells and odors surrounding him, but probably did did in real life. I will uh, say this: Bill is a very clean guy. It sounds that sounds entirely like it's not the case. He's always showered, and I think that's it's a very clean like, man. Yeah, and I should also mention my other brother Jonathan. He listens to this podcast quite a bit. He's a big fan. So, well, the second thing I want to mention before I get into my my discussion of of my introduction to the Pogues is that uh, we really do. It is a bit of a freak show aspect, but man, you just cannot underrate those teeth. Man, Shane McGowan's teeth—they're amazing. I, I, I oh tweeted my. about this just the other night, but they look like you know they're. Um, I, I was the way I described it, like they're, they're they're wooden pegs that have been unevenly spaced in a in a wilted gum line, just jammed <laughs> up into the top of his mouth. Uh, I, you know, he's number one, page one in the big book of British smiles. Uh, I I I love it, and. Uh, but that's not what this band. And that's when he had teeth, because there was a the whole decade of the nineties, he pretty much just didn't have teeth. Yes, I think I think he wears I think he has obviously has to yes. wear dentures now. But here's and the a thing whole of, surgery that was documented in a British documentary. So he right? has teeth now, but it was a uh, yeah. Oh my god, I've seen that documentary too. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing about the Pogues. Okay, the Pogues were a band that would have never in a million years made a lick of sense to me had I not come to them after encountering other bands uh, and other artists. And, and primarily the artists and bands that I'm talking about is the whole sort of Fairport Convention cloud of, of groups. Um, this is a group that I've talked about. Richard Thompson is an artist I have talked about several times past on the show in our covers episodes in particular. Uh, English traditional music, it's the kind of thing that when you first encounter, particularly, let's, let's, let's be honest, as Americans, it's disarming. It's weird. Heavy emphasis on, like, you know, accordions and mandolins and tin whistles and jeels, and, you know, jigs and reels and things like that. Um, because I had already heard Richard Thompson, 
when I first started getting into the Pogues, nothing about this felt strange to me. It felt very uncharacteristic. I immediately understood why people treated them as like, oh, this is a fusion of like trad Irish music and punk or, you know, sort of post-punk sounds. But uh, the heavy lean on the traditional Irish instrumentation really kind of dominates the best of their career all the way up through the end of the Shane McGowan era. Uh, I never had a problem with that. I understand that some people are going to hear the accordion going and they're like, just like, like, you know, like where, where are my, my fat hip hop beats? Like it's not something that you heard in American music, but it's something that deeply appealed to me. And as Alfred says, the, immense power of McGowan's lyrics once you were able to decipher them with a lyric sheet or with the help of Google. I will not lie. Mm -hmm. Google has been my friend many, many a time with a Pogue song. Um, It's really shocking. And, you know, when we were talking in our pre-show notes, and and, and Alfred, actually, I want to return to you on this. You made such a great point about what the significance of the of the band was in terms of you know their sort of their artistic sea that they were swimming in that they were out on an island can you can you can you elaborate on that for us i mean so obviously shane mcgowan was a big part or a part of the initial punk wave of the 70s and so he was definitely immersed in that counterculture movement but you know once the pokes started they did not sound like anything else yeah you can look back and they're definitely punk but not no punk band really sounded quite like that and that just sort of like they were playing acoustic instruments and you know and he's like screaming either songs he wrote like these or these like pro nra songs it's it just they sounded like absolutely nothing else i mean the 80s is full of either the sort of new romantic sound or like you know phil collins in a lot of people's minds and this is nothing like any of that but i think there's, there's also more than that and that there's something fascinating about the fact that the pogues are basically a bunch of englishmen yeah. with irish blood in London, which is, of course, the center of, you know, the United Kingdom and also kind of this weird cultural melting pot. It's kind of it's it's New York City, basically. If you want an analog, it's that. Um, and yet, even though they were all you know British citizens and not Irishmen, uh, I think two members of the band were actually born in Ireland. Uh, they decided instead of like playing punk music and putting safety pins in their noses and doing that, they said, no, we're going to like go trad and we're going to go like reclaim this musical tradition that had been neglected and they somehow managed to convince us all when you hear this music that it it, it's secretly punk the funny thing about it is like i i've been listening to irish music since i was a child so like my dad is big folky um is uh, he was a huge fan of like the Clancy Brothers. I don't know if you know who they are. So I was singing yeah. Brennan on the Moor when I was a kid. Young Willie Brennan, you know, I, I was into that kind of a thing, and I and I and I found the value of that. But I also recognized it as sort of exotic music. The Pogues made an argument that this isn't just 
exotic music. This isn't Peter Gabriel world music. Oh, here's the bazookies. <laughs> Here are the the Arabic, you know, singers going like, ah, la, 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 you know, not the ululations. No, they were bringing it into the mainstream and sort of demanding that you accept that this is rock. This is pop. This is song. You know, song, I guess, is the best way you would put it. And I think that's a kind of, I think, what drew Ellis Costello to them, in fact, which we'll get to later. But I'm so impressed with the way that they progressed. And, and the funny thing about them is that, like, you, everybody sort of accepts that they had a commercial peak or a critical peak. But I think they were really good all the way to the end for the most part. I think, though, I, I love the fact that to just go back to what you said about world music, it is funny. I was thinking a lot about that uh, in the weeks leading up to this, about how the 80s were a weird time for world music. You know, uh, the ladies with Black Mambazo sort of represented the continent of Africa. You know, uh, Sting was sort of experimenting with world music at the time. Obviously, Paul Simon with Graceland. But like, you know, uh the Pogues sort of occupied that space in some people's minds. Like, it's bizarre to think about that now, but they were this sort of novelty world band at a, at a weird point in the 80s. And I it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny thing to think about how people treat Ireland as a quasi-third world yeah. country. <laughs> Especially <laughs> back then, it's crazy. Yeah, during the Troubles and all of that. But yeah. Scott, what were you saying? I cut you off. No, I'd say I, I, um, I come at the Pogues in, in a similar way to the way that Jeff came at uh, Rush uh, a few weeks ago on the show. I, I, don't, I had very, very little exposure to the band before getting set for the episode. One of my roommates in college was a big Pogues fan and Dropkick Murphys fan, so I know I've heard some of this stuff in the past, but, but did not connect with it on, on a real basis until getting set for this episode. So I, I'm coming at it with a very fresh set of ears. And, and what I would say, echo a bit, is, is Jeff's contention. For him, you know, the Pogues would be difficult to get into if not if not having this other musical knowledge. I would, I would second that because as I dove into this material, I, I was having a hard time connecting. And my brain did something, so thank you, brain. Uh, it sort of tried to connect what uh, the Pogues are doing, especially more early on, um, in the first two albums specifically, with other things that I know, right? And so uh, I, I, my brain goes to, uh, I'm a big fan of John Langford and Mekons and then his American group, well, the, the group based in America, the Waco Brothers. And my, being able to connect what the Pogues were doing with what Langford was doing in part in during the Mekons career and during uh, kind of... Um, uh, kind of taking, you know, in his in his way, the Americana aspect, the, the country aspect, and, 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 and merging it into, uh, you know, he's Welsh, and so some of those traditions and some of the British punk traditions. 
putting putting the Pogues in a box like that, or at least in a in a similar box like that, helped me understand. I think what was happening, especially on these first couple of albums, and I, I guess we can we can kind of start there and maybe segue that into uh, into Red Roses for me, the debut in 1984, and someone who began listening to this band more than say a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, can can <laughs> jump in and tell us, you know, who's in the band. I mean, we talked earlier about the instruments, the tin whistle and the banjo and the mandolin. The accordion features heavily in this music. But uh, but 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 who's involved and, and where do we get Red Roses for me? Well, I mean, first of all, it begins. It doesn't end, but it definitely begins with Shane McGowan, um, who I, I guess I would say is the drunkest man <laughs> alive. Uh, you know, we were joking about this, uh, you know, in our in our pre-show notes, and uh, and I, I still believe it. It's amazing that like, how is it possible that he is still alive? And so many others are not. I mean, gosh, you know, like it, there are other members of the band who have passed away. Yeah. Phil Chevron yeah. isn't there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like how did Shane survive <laughs> given the fact that like every photograph you'll ever see of him, he has in one hand a cigarette and in the other hand a bottle of whiskey. Um, and I guess that's how his teeth got the way that they are. Um, but Jim Finer is – I think one of the other ones that you really need to focus on. He's, he's, he's a guy who wrote so many of the songs, co-wrote so many of the songs with McGowan. And, and he is just, just a fantastic musician and a fantastic songwriter. Um, these are guys who actually all met one another in London, which is the funny thing about them. You know, it's almost like, I'm trying to think of an analog that would work here. It's like imagine uh, a white American act that was devoted to doing like truly hardcore urban African-American hip hop. But that isn't quite right because they all had Irish blood and that was why they were drawn to one another. They were fascinated by this music. And I think it's also an argument. This is really kind of the fundamental argument I make for the Pogues, that this is music that transcends like, you know, culture or race or whatever, ethnicity or language or anything like that. This is stuff that's just music. It, it's great music. These people found each other and they decided that, you know, like the band did in 1968, that everyone was going in one direction. Well, you know what? We're going to go in another direction. And that's what you get on Red Roses for me, which is an album that has a few McGowan instrumentals, which are pretty good, actually, um, but is mostly, you know, based on, you know, traditional Irish jigs and reels you have a heavy heavy emphasis on like accordion on tin whistle on cittern on mandolin and 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 it's one of the funny things about you you listen to these songs and you then you listen to like bluegrass in america and you realize like oh yes. well the only the only difference between this is that instead of an acoustic guitar it's a banjo yeah. and you're like, whoa, okay. So that's where bluegrass came from. And of course, banjo became heavily featured later on in their career. But I think this is a pretty decent debut album. It isn't hugely distinguished, but I, I do love the first song, which is Transmetropolitan. Uh, this is 
the first song McGowan ever would release on an album. You know, he's like, I'm going transmetro was it I'm going transmetropolitan from the dear old streets of King's Cross to the doors of the ICA. It's great. You know, we're <laughs> again like a drunkard. We're gonna drink the rat's piss, kick the shite, and I'm not going home tonight. It's wonderful, but it's also for a song that has such a specifically Irish feel, specifically written about London. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting contradiction that I've always been fascinated by. And I think that it's a very decent debut. It's barely produced, about by which I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of thought into the production, right? It's in the studio and and get it down and and go, which which works pretty well. You want that uh, that sort of punk aesthetic that uh, whatever whatever works in the studio is what's going to work on, on the album. Um, yes, Transmetropolitan's a great song to lead things off. There are a number of traditional Irish songs on the album. I like uh, Battle of Brisbane, which is the, I think the second song on the album. The, the sort of drum lashes punctuating the, the classic Irish, more Irish fare. Um, boys from the from the County Hell, boy, the, the lyrics in that one are something else. But as, as Jeff said earlier, you do have to sort of migrate over to Google or somewhere figure out exactly what's being said there are yeah, you, you you cannot understand here's the funny thing this is the youngest and dewiest voice that shane mcgowan will ever offer you on a pogues record yeah he actually sounds youthful yes yes, yes. <laughs> he's almost quasi coherent on this record <laughs> but you still have to go like f- i mean unless you are like you know a brit and you know you're familiar with the brogues and, and the accents then then maybe you don't have to go read the lyrics to figure out what he's saying but there's these great lines like you know like the time i was working for a landlord he was the meanest bastard you ever seen to lose a single penny would grieve him awful sore but he was a miserable bollocks and a bitch's bastard's whore. That's a great curse. That's a great, great curse off. I just, you know, listen, I've had bad landlords in my time, and I still think of that line, the bitch's bastard's whore line. I use that when I think about landlords. <laughs> It's worth noting, too, that this album does not have a parental advisory sticker because no one can understand it, but it is filthy. (laughs) Filthy. And I've been listening to this band since I was probably 10 years old, and I have to Google pretty much every single song, (laughs) every single time, or read the, uh, you know, the the lyrics from the record. So, yeah, I I totally relate to all of that. But, like... Sea Shanty is filthy, 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 filthy lyrics. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the way Pearl Jam would get away with getting F-bombs sure. on the radio because, like, nobody could hear what Eddie Vedder was actually saying <laughs> on, the, on the records, right? But like, Boys from the County Hell, one line that sort of is rises through the din that's understandable, you know, we'll eat your freaking entrails and we don't give a damn. That stuff's all over, Boys from the, from the County Hell. Uh, just, I would give a damn if I ate someone's entrails. I have to be honest. I, I would. Yeah, I think so. No. 
Yeah, uh, I think you have to. Hey, listen, who doesn't love a good slice of awful? All right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, you know, it's tasty if you prepare the right way. I like to pounds. I'll buy you a drink. And matter like me early in the morning. That boy's in the yard drunk and looking for you. We'll eat your friggin' and trials and we won't give a damn. We thought he was a bloodshot and my mother and my damn. My brother earned his medals at my life for you. Lend me ten pounds, I'll buy you a drink And matter wake me early in the morning On the first day of March it was raining It was raining worse than anything that I have ever seen Stay on the other side of the road cause you can never tell We're a thrust like a gang of devils, we're the voice in the county hell And it's lend me ten pounds uh, London references all over the album, as Jeff mentioned, uh, on Trans Metropolitan, where they're sort of mentioning all the London locations. There's uh, Dear Dirty London and sh- uh, Sea Shanty and Dear Dirty Old Drunken Delightful Old London and Dark Streets of London. Drinking uh, at various points, he asks for money to buy you a pint. He says he's going to drink 10 pints or maybe he's going to drink 15 pints. Uh, lots of drinking. Uh, raw passion, but also moments of delicate, uh, of beauty. Uh, Kitty, uh, the traditional song, which is late on the album. If an accordion can be tender, that's how I would describe the accordion on Kitty. It had a very uh, vulnerable vocal performance from uh, from uh, McGowan. So this is, um, I think, about seven originals. The rest are covers, so it's about half and half. But even here, you can see what they were what they were aiming for and uh you know they would next meet up with uh, a producer who i think uh, fit them very well but alfred uh, your thoughts on the debut so i i think this is i i like it i think probably more than you guys do this is one of my favorite albums ever um i i just think it's the you're seeing the start of a creation of a new kind of music with this uh like you guys said shane mcgowan's voice is actually uh, sounds like a human being on this one. He sounds youthful for probably the only year uh, in the Pogue's life that he does. Um, I love the fact that Transmet, for a band that is so um, so sort of basics and just lo-fi in their sort of aura, the fact that the first thing you hear on their debut album is like a production effect, that sort of like echoey reverb thing in the beginning that sort of transports you to another decade or another time or another universe. But you're tr- you're not in the 80s anymore because of that strange little effect. Um, and I love the fact that on a Pogues record, that's how it starts. Um, Transmetropolitan is just so great. And these songs are played really fast. And I think you have to give a lot of credit to uh, Andrew Rankin, the drummer, because, you know, growing up, I didn't think too much about his playing, but it's just a pulse that is just, it, it holds all these songs together and it, they just sound so great. And he's playing this tiny little junky kid. And it just <laughs> sounds wonderful on all, especially all of their early records. Um, I, I, I agree with you. They're, they're nothing without him. They're nothing. It, it, it's just great. Yeah, exactly. Because they could have someone playing a similar beat that would not have that kind of uh, pacing. Uh, it's just wonderful. Um, so, and I also love the fact that in this album, it's one of the few albums Shane McGowan does a sort of harmonizes with his fellow bandmates here and there, kind of. And that's the idea, to hear. The, idea, the idea of like harmony or uh, even quality singing on a Pogues record is just amazing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the first two records, they kind of have that. Uh, Waxy's Dargle is... Is there a better, like, sort of punk screams than the screams you hear on that song? Just, it's so rowdy. It feels like you are inside of a bar. It feels like you might be inside of a bottle. I don't know, but it's incredible. Size mile, what's a euro? 
Uh, Streams of Whiskey, it is a song that I've heard Shane sort of belittle. Uh, it's a song he wrote that he, you know, it's I'm going, I'm going where streams of whiskey are flowing. But it is a brilliant, brilliant song. Uh, I love the verse. I have cursed, bled and sworn, jumped a bail and landed up in jail. Life has often tried to stretch me, but the rope always was slack. And now that I've a pile, I'll go down to Chelsea. I'll walk on my feet. I'll walk it on my feet, but I'll leave there on my back. Like that is not just some, those aren't throwaway lines. I know he's talking about drinking. He's talking about essentially it's like go, going from pub to pub, but those are brilliant lyrics that not many people could pull off. Um, Poor Patty is a, you know, the, that sort of, uh, uh, it's an old folk song, but Shane McCown owns it. Listen to his vocals on that track. It, it's as if he wrote it or lived it. It's some of my, one of my favorite performances he's ever given on that recording. Um, I love it. I love I love the whole record. I, I think Kitty is, uh, while Shane didn't write it, it's a great sort of sneak peek at what's to come mm -hmm. with them being more vulnerable and, and Shane uh, coming up with some of the best uh, romantic lyrics I've ever heard. So I love it. I think it's a wonderful debut, one of my favorite debut records I, I, I know of. I mean, I, I also really think that this is the place that you emphasize how good the Pogues were at these trad covers the, the all triangle which i yeah. knew um long before i heard the pogues from like my bootleg versions of bob dylan's the basement tapes uh there it was called the banks of the royal canal all right you know and it's a song about like uh, it, it was written by i guess uh you know some irish uh poet uh, the 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 triangle that would be beaten, you know, ding ding a ling a ling, almost like 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 you know you know in the orchestra. Who's that guy who plays the triangle? You always wish you could be like you know. If I could get paid to be the guy who plays the triangle in an orchestra, that would be a great gig. Because how how could you screw that up? All you have to do is ding a ling a ling. But uh, you know, this is the one in in the prison where they're living, and it was a great conceit originally when it was sung and written by Brendan Bann, um, but it was even better when it's sung in that weird kind of like whiskey drunked out voice by Shane McGowan. And that old triangle When jingles jangle All along the banks of the Royal Canal oh, And the thing about his voice And, and people who are going to listen to the show And we're going to drop the excerpts of the songs in here. They're going to be like, what is this guy sounding like? Well, you know, listen, Lou Reed, that's a tough voice to get around. Bob Dylan, that's a tough voice to get Neil around. Neil Young. Neil Young. I, you know, I actually think Neil Young actually is more devoted to actual melody <laughs> than a lot of other folks out My there. My wife just hates Neil Young's voice and it drives me crazy. Yeah. Does. A very high yeah. screechy voice, but you know, but the thing is, is that McGowan has got this like, ah, uh, you know, Irish 
you know, it, it, it's both a br- Irish brogue and it's clearly soused. But it works. It works for these songs. It makes you think that he actually is singing as a prisoner who is listening to the old triangle ring. And I and I think that you know that's another one of the greatest songs on this album, even if it's a cover of a traditional song. And you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the biggest uh, the thing that gives the Pogues the most power is the fact that they are doing something that seems inauthentic on paper, but. Shane McGowan and the other guys in the band give it such uh, just realism and they give it such authenticity. And you believe every word they say and every note they play that, Mm -hmm. you know, this could have really not worked out well at all. This band playing in London or formed in London. (laughs) But I mean, Shane McGowan, I mean, the fact that Sea Shanty, which I mentioned earlier, is being just filthy, is that he wrote a Sea Shanty and it's. It, it comes across like it's a song that was there for generations and generations and centuries. And it's it's one of my favorite songs on the record, too. And it's this weird punk sea shanty full of just vile things. And you know what? The best thing that could have ever happened to the Pogues is that Elvis Costello found out about them. Uh, so what happens is that they put out that album. It, it's very weird. It's very countercultural in the British 1980s, mid-80s, middle of the Thatcher era. Um, Costello, who, of course, we've covered earlier on Political Beats, heard them. And you know, Costello is, again – kind of like the Pogues. He's a Brit who still kind of really hews to his Irish and Scottish roots. And I think actually for a very long time lived in Dublin. That was his mm-hmm. residence. Um, he heard them and said, okay, I want to produce you. I desperately want to do your next album because the line that he used is that you know I want to I want to get you before somebody else takes you over and spoils you, uh, and of course what he ended up doing is uh, carrying away the bass player of the band and marrying her. <laughs> he I was think the he, one. He, he was going to mess him up. He was the one. Yeah, he, he jokes. He's like, you know, that's the reason I've never produced another album again because you can only <laughs> marry the bass player once. Um, uh, Cato Reardon is, of course, you know, the bass player for the Pogues. Uh, but this album is 1985's Rum, Sodomy, and the Lash. I will argue, and I guess I can I can hear arguments on the other side. I think this might be the best Pogues album of all time. Uh, this is still very much in their traditional kind of like Irish punk movement uh, sense, but it's it's just a fantastic album. It has so many different aspects to it. You know, McGowan is writing so many fantastic songs, but then you have Cater Reardon doing that great trad song, uh, I'm the Man You Don't Meet Every Day. Um, you have, uh, you know, 
you know, and the band played Waltzing Matilda, where like McGowan just sings, you know, as so good. You know, in the per- in the persona of what was it like a a World War One soldier at Gallipoli who's getting his legs blown off. It's just an amazing it's album. Brittle. It's brittle and it's brutal, and it is uh, a fantastic record and a very strange record as well. I. Uh, I guess this is where I open the floor. So what do you guys think about this one? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of Pokes fans, this is probably their favorite. I know I've heard interviews from the band and they sort of look at this as them almost at a peak, which I, I totally get because one thing that's interesting about the Pogues is that they started from such a basic uh, starting point with these acoustic instruments playing traditional Irish music. And with every album up until uh, probably uh, Peace and Love, they grew. Their, their sound got bigger. They got more instruments. Yes. They got more members. Yeah. Everything felt bigger. And on paper, I think if you read of that story, you'd think, oh, this like kind of punk band getting bigger with horns. You'd think, ah, not for me. But they pull it it's, off. It's, with it's, every- it's like the Clash putting out Sandinista, basically. Yeah. But ah. I think they, yeah, the the Pogues weirdly pull it off every single time. I mean, you can, you know, some of the later records you can argue with, but for the most part, they, they did a great job with uh, getting larger and larger. Um, look, uh, Sick Bed of Cucullin is one of the better opening tracks. I know a lot of Pokes fans that think that might be their greatest uh, track. It's definitely really indicative of their, their, their sort of fusion of folk and punk. And I love the, the bass line almost has an oompa band effect. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds like you could be at the Hopper House uh, right. listening to that song, <laughs> which is a fun little effect. A uh, Pair of Brown Eyes is probably Shane's first uh, sort of uh, big ballad that he would become known for. It's not as good as the later ones, but it's a hell of a song and a really terrible music video if you guys have seen it. Just uh, real, real rough. It's like dystopian future doesn't really fit at all. There's, um, there's literally <laughs> only one Pogues music video that you ever need to watch, and we already all know what it is. I, I, I hear you, but I, there's some other great ones too. But that, 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 we, we can talk about that later. Um, the old main drag I like because it's, you mentioned Lou Reed earlier. It's sort of like a Velvet Underground tune, you know? Like, it, it's this, instead of uh, the muse being New York City, the muse is 1980s London, and it's just a dark tale of uh, uh, of a man, I guess, turning tricks in London, and it doesn't end well at all, but it's the subversive underbelly of, uh, like, London street life is... Uh, is explained well in that song. When I first came to London, I was only Sixteen with a fiver in my pocket and my old dancing bag. I went down to the dilly to check out the scene, but I soon ended up upon the old main drag. There the he males and the she males paraded in style, and the old men with the money would flash you. Smile in the dark of an alley 
would work for a five For a swift one at the wrist Down on the old mine track and Sally McLennan, look, that's, that's one of everyone's favorite songs. It's one of their best songs they've done. It really encapsulates who they are and, uh, you know, great uh, poetic lyrics while also, you know, really, really fun sort of punky bar song that is uh, just an absolute delight every time you hear it. Well, Jimmy Glide, I'm on again, the pub where I was born. He played it from the nighttime to the pace of early morning. And one song I never paid much attention to um, up until just a few years ago is Billy's Bones has been it's hit me really hard. I mean, it sounds like punk rock from like the Revolutionary War. It's but yet the lyrics are weirdly contemporary about like a peacekeeping mission in the Middle East where uh, one of their friends dies. And you don't know sort of what's a joke, what's not. It's sort of dark lyrics. But uh, the way he spits them out, that sort of Shane is so great at having this sort of the music being this sort of whirling dervish and he just spits out these machine gun lyrics and that song is just so amazing i think it, it's one of those songs that encapsulates exactly who they are and i can't think of any other band that could pull that off Um, yeah, so what, what can you say about Rem Sodomy and Lash? It's one of the better albums of the decade. Um, it's incredible. I, I will just add, well, I actually have a lot of things I will add, but I will start here by saying that one of the things that should be appreciated about this album is, again, their amazing touch with the cover. Um, Kate O'Reardon, the female bassist, of the band sings a song called yes. I'm a man you don't meet every day. That is first of all, a fantastic traditional song. And, you know, it, it's one of these kind of like, uh, you know, you know, jockish boastful, you know, Irish songs like, ah, I'm an amazing person. But when it comes out of the mouth of a woman, the entire point of it seems to change. And it's almost like she's like singing to you about like, yes, here, here is the lines that, that these horrible men have sold to me all throughout my life. And she sings it in that very deadpan way. 
the you know that the, you know that that's O'Riordan's voice, and it's always been her voice, and it's really powerful. It's one of those things that you know it's easy to forget because it's not like an original song from the band. But again, this is why you know we did our covers episode. This is why you know covers are a valid artistic tradition. Mm-hmm. You can take an old song and make it new, put it into the mouth of someone else and make it something different. And I really love that one. Also, uh, I mean, she's a fantastic member of the band, just period. And it's a shame that uh, Elvis Costello stole her away. But I mean, another thing that, and just real quick, I don't want to get off what you were going to say, but like the Wildcats have killed Kenny. Like I like the Pogues instrumentals. They're not my favorite aspect of the Pogues, but there's some, there's some great stuff in there. And that one in particular, her bass line is really, really cool on that one. Like it, it doesn't, it comes out sort of out of nowhere and it, it makes yeah. a sort of... Uh, it's sort of mid-tempo uh, instrumental into this really sort of punk rock thing, the way she plays that bass. The first sign of this album is just a tour de force for McGowan's songwriting. I don't know if he ever wrote uh, better and more consistently than on side one of uh, of Rum, Sodomy, and the Lash. From the old main drag, which is fantastic, uh, pair, of, pair of Brown Eyes. I think there's only one cover on that front side of the album. A pair of Brown Eyes really completes their sound at least at this stage it's a very it's a fuller sound it has almost a commercial sounding chorus uh thickened vocals a, a bigger hook out of song a pair of brown eyes i think it's one of their very best um lyrically it's a it's kind of a drunken character sketch and didn't have to go far for source material on that one i suppose in the last 45 seconds is really just outstanding the accordion the mandolin all working together intertwined uh, a pair of brown eyes might be my favorite uh, song on this album. Uh, so side one is really about McGowan's songwriting. Side two is interesting, too, in that, you know, for me, again, with Fresh Ears, um, there's there's like almost an American, a mini-American suite here when you go from Dirty Old Town to Jesse James and Navigator. 
Um, you know, it's just a couple of steps away from bluegrass, as Jeff mentioned earlier in the program. And I, I think there's both in terms of uh, thematically, you know, the lyrical themes, but also the, the types of songs. Those three are harmonica use in, in, in Navigator. Um, it it kind of has this, this sort of mini-American Irish country suite of songs. Um, and then Jeff mentioned the band played Waltzing Matilda, which I think is just a fantastic version of that sound, of that song. Elvis Costello's production gives them, I think, a huge improvement in the way the band sounds. Uh, they'd actually, they'd sound fuller um, to come, but, you know, with the addition of new members here, Phil Chevron joins on, on guitar. Um, they, they sound much better than they did, I think, on Red Roses for me on this album. Uh, it, I, don't, I don't think it's quite their, their best. I think that's what's coming next. But it's awfully good. And again, if you know, this, the, the first side is so much Shane McGowan. The second side has that little sweet way I like to think about it. It's really a well-put-together album, too. I will be good and goddamned if I let us pass over from Rum Sodomy in the Lash to the next album before I talk about the EP that was released in between these records. And that is called Pogetry in Motion. Yes, yes, it's a stupid pun. Um, uh, but the reason you need to know this, it's a four-song EP. All right. There, there are only four tracks, and 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 one of them is an instrumental. Uh, you need to know two absolutely essential Pogues songs mm-hmm. on this record. The first of them is Rainy Night in Soho, um, which I think everybody knows you know if they're a fan and they love but the one uh, that it's fascinating that even if you've never heard of this band and you're wondering sitting here listening to this podcast why are we even talking about this group you know the body of an american all right the body of an american which is again you know they cross they cross the atlantic you know, this is this is about the Irish diaspora. You know, you know the Cadillac stuck. What was it? The Cadillac stood behind the house, and the Yanks were within. And the Tinker Boys, they hissed advice, hot wire her with a pen. It is the single greatest song about you know northeastern Irish uh, existence in the United States because. This isn't about them saying that, like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm proud to be an Irishman. I'm proud. No, 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 no. I'm a red-blooded man of the USA. And uh, you know, if you've ever watched The Wire, you may have heard this song. Uh, if you've ever listened to music, you've probably heard this song. It is one of their five greatest songs. The stood by the house and the Yanks they were. And a tinker boys, they hissed advice, but were with a pen. Well, we turned and shook as we had a look in a room where the dead man lay. So big Jim Dwyer made his last trip to the shores where his father's lay. Fifteen minutes later, we had our first taste of whiskey. There was uncles giving lectures on ancient Irish history. The men all started telling jokes, and the women they got frisky. 
With five o'clock in the evening Every bastard there was pissed Pretty well gone away There's nothing left to say Farewell to New York City boys The Boston NPA He took them out with a well on cloud And I often heard him say I'm a freeborn man of the USA Yeah, I couldn't agree more uh, with that take And, I, you know, I've always been a little confused Because I know those songs were produced by Elvis Costello And... I mean, were they recording the same sessions as Rum Sodomy the Lash? I suspect they must have been. Yes, um, I believe so. And so, like, I and look, if they substituted two songs for Rainy Night in Soho and Body of American, I think for sure Rum Sodomy the Lash would be their best album. Um, but, you know, uh, Rainy Night in Soho, that version of it is great, but I, I really prefer they uh, have a remix version that Steve Lillywhite did. That I, for, That's the first one I had heard, so that's my favorite version of that song. It's a little bigger. It sounds more like... Yeah, I like it. I like it too. Yeah, I, I think it's better. It just it starts off stronger. Uh, the one that Costello produces starts off slightly weaker, but yeah, Body of an American is just a phenomenal... It's an epic, epic song. The lyrics, you don't want to throw a single word away in the lyrics, and just this sort of tension or... The stirring beginning that starts with that sort of uh, musical uh, introduction and then the outro, uh, it, it gives you goosebumps. You're not really sure why, uh, because you're going to have to read the lyrics later, But because uh, <laughs> you definitely can't get it first time around. But yeah, what, just what a perfect song. That I is. just love the farewell to the New York City boys from to Boston and PA. He took them out with an L well-aimed clout. We often heard him say, I'm a free-born man of the USA. And it's just so Shane McGowan because he's stuck in this weird time, like this sort of mythical place where like poetry still exists, where boxing is still a thing, you know, where horse racing is like there's something, you know, uh, popular about that. Like the, the time that I guess used to exist that certainly in the 80s and now doesn't really exist. And he's such a throwback. And that song is just so wonderful on so many levels. And by the way, I want to take a moment to tell you about NR Plus. It's a lot more than a digital membership. When you become an NR Plus member, you get unlimited access to the National Review Digital Magazine. You don't get the paywall when you want to read NR on your computer or mobile device. And total access, the latest issue, plus all the issues in the 10-year archive and all the episodes of Political Beats as well. You get access to a members-only Facebook group, conference calls. You'll get the invite right in your email featuring NR writers, editors, and special guests. Also, commenting. Only NR Plus members can comment on the site. And when you join NR Plus and are logged in, you'll see up to 90% fewer ads on the site and zero ads within articles. It makes reading those fine pieces so much easier easier so why not join today what you got to do go to nationalreview.com slash plus that's nationalreview.com slash plus read about everything the membership has to offer then click join now see your options that's nr plus nationalreview.com slash plus after uh the ep and rum sodomy and the lash comes an album of 1988 that I believe two of the three hosts on the program actually consider the uh, to be the Pogues' best work, If I Should Fall from Grace with God. Delayed a bit. They were on uh, Stiff Records, and uh, they went under, so they, they delayed the recording. The release was a little far away, uh, further away than they would have liked, certainly, from Red Roses for me. But I think January of 1988 
is when If I Should Fall from Grace with God is released. And uh, yes, this is uh, this is my favorite. I actually want to give Alfred the opportunity to take first bite on this album because I know it's his favorite too. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, look, I think this is this is as good as it gets for the Pogues. It's the first record I knew of for the Pogues, so it was sort of the it's the first album I owned of theirs, and I owned it just that one album for a long time before I got the other ones, which is strange and stupid on my part. But uh, you know, the band is much bigger. Um, the sound, at least, they also added Terry Woods, uh, who's a folk singer, guitarist, and sort of mandolin player, and. Uh, I mean, those first four songs, you can't, I mean, those are, that's maybe the up there. It's as good as any first four tracks on an album. First six songs. I just am not that into Metropolis, but yeah, we can talk oh. about that. But uh, if I should pop ah, with God, like it's it. sort of like their rallying cry. That, that is them in a nutshell. If you like that song, you'll love the Pogues. If you don't, you probably won't like them. But uh, it's a, a sort of a perfect personification of who they are as a band. Uh Turkish Song of the Damned. I mean, it's just so it's such a great, cool, weird song. It's it, it does a lot of things all at once. It's very punk rock, but it's also very musical. It, it it's full of contrast. It, it feels like it's a really long song, but it's it's under four minutes. It's under three and a half minutes. It has that sort of musical outro that they almost sound like a jam band and. It's this Middle Eastern uh, sound that they they are, you know we mentioned the world music thing. This is the album they sort of became a world band in a way. They're almost like giving the right. middle finger for anyone who thought they were a world band by saying, hey, we're going to play some uh, Mexican Spanish tunes and this like Middle Eastern tune. is I, it, that's always been one of my favorite all-time songs because yeah, it's not about the most like you know the highest ideas in the world it's about a guy that won big uh at the racetrack <laughs> but again another one of the songs i wouldn't take out a single word the way that snare drum crashes right in the beginning it's just it's this crazy train of a of a punk rock folk song that uh, no other band could come close to doing what they're doing on that and um you know a fairy tale of new york is the best the elephant the in the room. I mean, it's it's just like, how can you not acknowledge what, what is clearly the greatest Christmas song ever recorded? It's certainly up there. And, I, you know, there's not much you can say. I mean, the words are perfect. The, the singing is perfect. The music is perfect. There's nothing I would change except for the one, speaking of elephants in the room, the, uh, the you know, Shane has dropped a lot of F-bombs uh throughout their career but uh this one particular f-bomb was uh okay well, well, let's just get it right out there okay you know it, it's he, they're recreating an argument yes between, uh, you know a married couple you scumbag you maggot this is the woman singing to, to shane you scumbag you maggot you cheap lousy f it. all right and yeah ooh, that's tough stuff and there's been like a push <clears throat> among the woke 
in recent years in England and in Ireland to like, oh, you have to censor that line. And I am so proud to say that they have resisted this because, look, this is not a song about people making fun of gay people, okay? This is just a song about how working class people argue with one another and how they get angry and they're disappointed and they're upset. Fairy Tale of New York, I guess I'll just I'll just let this all out now. Fairy Tale of New York is such a profoundly moving song precisely because it speaks about broken dreams and you know big dreams that you know what did you say like you know new york is so big it's but it's no place for the old the wind goes right through you um but you know like you know i you promised me everything you promised me broadway you know sinatra was singing the bells were ringing the boys from the nypd choir were singing uh, and the funny thing about that by the way is that there is no such thing as an nypd choir and there never has been that was that's a kind of thing that exists in england and in maybe ireland but but never in america but it sounds right shane mcgowan actually rewrote what we thought would be historically accurate in New York City with that line. That is so hugely impressive to me. So happy Christmas I love you baby I can see a better time when all our dreams come true You promised me Broadway was waiting for me You were handsome You were pretty queen of New York City When, when the band, band finished playing They held up for more Sinatra was swinging All the drums they were singing We kissed on the corner Then danced through the night The boys of the NYPD choir Were singing Go away by And the bells were ringing out For Christmas Day But yeah, this is a song about you know, people who have big dreams and they're disappointed, but they carry on, they persevere, they fight, they squabble, they, they, they get into, you know, big, you know, slap arguments. The video is so great because you see Kirsty McCall, Steve Lillywhite, by the way, produced this album, If I Should Fall From Grace. And his wife was Kirsty McCall, who was an incredibly talented singer, but a had apparently stage fright wasn't really into like public performance and so you know her career never really took off um they were trying to find someone to who could do the female voice on this song uh, they actually had written it around the rum sodomy in the last period uh, and they tried kate reardon on it and she just didn't work and and you can Have you heard that it. version no i don't even think it's, it's pretty great been. Yeah, you can find it online. It's it's not bad. It's 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 sounds more like a bar band uh, playing it, and uh, but it's actually not bad. And you know what's funny? The, the f bomb is not dropped on that version. It's slightly different <laughs> lyrics. It's very very interesting. But it's not it's not terrible at all. It's 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 worth a listen for sure. It's anyway, but the thing about but, but McCall, she she's got that brassy voice. Yeah. 
She sings to him as an equal. This is not like an abusive relationship. This is just two people going at it, locking horns. But they're abusing themselves. Yeah. You know, like they love each other. They hate each other. There's that great line near the end of the song where, you know, uh, McGowan sings like, well, I could have been someone. And then McCall right back sings that back at him. Well, so could have anyone. You took my dreams from me. And then he says, but no, I didn't take your dreams from you. I kept them in my heart. This is this is what I believe in. I believe in us together. It's such a powerful song. And then set, of course, in that context of Christmas where he's in the trunk tank because he's gotten ruinously wrecked. And, you know, you know, Matt Dillon in a cameo appearance has to escort him into the jail. And there's that old person singing a song. And, you know, it's it's so moving. It works on so many levels. Fairy Tale of New York is, I will say this, my single favorite Pogues song. And I know it's a cliche. I apologize <laughs> to you, the listeners, in advance for the fact that I have embraced this cliche. But this song is the greatest single lyrical conceit that Shane McGowan ever wrote, this greatest single performance the band ever gave, and his greatest single vocal performance. I love it in every way. You're a bum, you're a punk. You're an old slut and jumbler, and they're almost dead on a trip in that boat. You scumbag, you mugger, chick chick, lousy bugger, tubby Christmas, you're awesome. took my dreams for me but he said i kept them with me babe i packed them with my own there's something about that how the this sort of roller coaster between the two of them how it starts off happy gets crazy uh and then it ends with that part it, there's something and the fact that it's christmas it, it gives you goosebumps and if you're really paying attention to the lyrics it'll get you every single time just so well done and so simplistic in, in a way that songwriters can't really pull off um but real quickly about the uh the dreaded F-bomb there. I will say Shane McGowan did release a statement uh, a year or two ago that said, you know, defending the line and saying, you know, these are two down and out people. They're right. not talking about homosexuals in any way. That's how down and out people speak sometimes, you know. Exactly. Right, that's, you that's, how, that's how, listen, have you ever met people? <laughs> and like, <laughs> That's how they talk. It's, you know, if you're writing a novel. Woke, you know, like that's how they talk. A character in a novel could murder someone. It doesn't mean the author of the uh 
the novel is a murderer. And these are characters in a story. And while, uh, but he did, he ends the statement by saying, look, if you want to bleep it out, please do. I don't want anyone to be offended. And you know what? I, I didn't used to like that. I don't mind it now because the way things are right now, it is not, I don't want anyone to hear that song and get distracted. I don't want that word to ruin anyone's idea of what that song is, and what it's about. And, you know, I, I can tell, talk about sort of the inclusivity of a band like the Pogues and how Philip Chevron, you know, I, I hate to even use this and talk about the inclusivity of the band, the Pogues, but Philip Chevron is, uh, was a gay man and he's openly gay guy who plays, uh, was in the band. So like, it's not a great argument to say Shane has gay friends, but it, it does, tell you something about his intent. He wasn't saying anything about homosexuals in any way, shape or form in that song. It just happens to be the uh, word that was used a lot then and especially used by people who are down and out and probably spending Christmas Eve in the drunk tank. But yeah, as you said, it's one of the best songs ever written for sure. It's the second time we've had a similar conversation about that word on the show. The other one was the Dire Straits episode and oh, yeah. money, money for Nothing. Right, and Money for Nothing, all, right. All around the same time, that would have been, I think, 85. This is 80, 88, but you know, probably written a little before then. And and, and the same the same usage, I guess, because, you know, in Money for Nothing, it's Knopfler projecting himself through the eyes of the, uh, uh, of the, what, the TV repair guy or something, how he would be talking. And so it's, it's actually a very similar kind of usage of the word, uh, in, in both of those instances, and you guys did a, a good job of, of, of sort of going over that, of course. But that just reminded me of a similar conversation we had some time ago on the show about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic song. I think this is their best album. I think it's it's the one with the most natural flow from start to finish. I think it's the one with the sharpest vocal performance from McGowan. Um, you, you still need the translator. You still need to find out what he's saying. But I think it's his strongest, right? Strongest vocal performance from start to finish on an album. Uh, the first two songs are fantastic. You know, the, the title track, which sort of has almost a, like a Zydeco feel to it. And Turkish Song of the Dam is one of my absolute favorite songs from the Pogues. Um, this, you know, this traditional sort of Irish in a way, but but strapped to this rock beat. You know, the, the drums are now an actual drum kit as opposed to yes. this very simple uh, setup that makes a huge, huge difference. And and the way they, they work that world music in it reminds me a bit of what Camper Van Beethoven was doing around the same time, too, with some of the more, uh, well, Turkish uh, feels and, and world music feels. Uh, it's just a fantastic song. Thousands are sailing as much of you as much as you guys talked about Fairy Hill of New York. This is one, you know, uh, written by Chevron. Uh, tale of, of of the Irish immigration to America. It's top a, it's, five songs. Yes, it's fantastic, both lyrically from Chevron and fantastic musically as well. There's a real thickness to it that that Lily White, being I guess probably a more a commercial type producer, he's been on the show a number of times or been mentioned on the show a ton of times with the work he's done in the '80s and '90s, uh, knew how to make it. Knew, knew how to make that song just sound the right way. It has a, has a thickness to it, a very heavy drum, and that was not there on previous uh, previous songs. I came here and I never even got so far 
that they could change my name Lullaby of London is a great song. This this father telling a, a kid it's it's all going to be okay, uh, but secretly kind of worried about you know the, the future and what might come. That's a fantastic uh, song. Uh, you know Terry Woods is 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 now in the band too. They're both writing some songs. Both those guys are actually Irish, uh, you know, really Irish. <laughs> and, um, and and again, I think you have to say something about the job that Lily White did to bring these songs to their best possible uh, place. Uh, he did add a lot to the proceedings, and I think did did much to make this the most consistent, most natural flowing album from from song to song. And ha- I, I like Metropolitan. I like that instrumental sort of those James Bond nods from time to time in Metropolitan. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a nod. They literally do 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 do. It's in the song and. I have to say, I'm a big fan of Pogue's instrumentals. We talked about it. I am too. I like them the a lot. show notes, you know, and uh, Alfred was like, yeah, you know, you know, I like the notes, but I like I like the instrumental stuff, but I, you know, it's McGowan's lyrics that you really need to focus on. And I do need to emphasize that the Pogues aren't just McGowan. Oh, sure. Absolutely. This is a band that plays like a mofo together. Yep. They have come up with an instrumental ensemble that is just overwhelmingly fun to listen to at this point and i you know i think these next three albums actually three and that's that's the hot take i suppose because you know people think that they, they tailed off after this and i would say well no not necessarily so um the band is just cooking at this point and i love that song Well, in terms of the band, too, Turkish Song of the Damned, like, I guess that's why I don't love the instrumentals as much, because there's a great little instrumental piece at the end of Turkish Song of the Damned. And then one of my favorite uh, instrumental pieces is um, Sit Down by the Fire, which is this almost like... This is also a time in the band's history where they sound very cinematic. It almost sounds like they could uh, like write a film score. The, the songs are getting sort of more and more epic. And Sit Down by the Fire, not Shane's greatest lyrics, it's just sort of like a bunch of scary stories. And it's like the opposite of a lullaby of London. It's just sort of like scary song, uh, scary stories to make your kids stay awake at night. But the music, the last 30 seconds of that song is so stirring and so well done. And it's so like 
it's very intense and it's uh, just an incredible bit of music. And that that's the band right there. And also we can't forget the Bride Majestic Shannon, which is up there with uh, Fairy Tale of New York is one of their greatest songs they ever did. That song is like a musical hug to me. I love every single word, even the words I can't pronounce because there's a lot of them in that song. Yeah, all, all those weird, <laughs> those weird Gaelic pronunciations. Yes, it's, it's like he's speaking a different language, and I think he is. And just, and you know, a hurly ball too is not often mentioned in a song. And it's just a song full of melancholy. It's, I don't know if it's hopeful. It's a romanticized version of Ireland, which is a big theme for them as well. A lot of the, you know, uh, like Shane romanticized his experience in Ireland because he lived there as a child and then moved to London. And I think he sort of felt like he had a perfect existence in Ireland and he felt robbed of that. And so a lot of the, the songs that the Pogues did are a uh, sort of reflection of that. Is a romanticized version of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And that song is about a lost love. I'm not sure if it's about death, but uh, it just gives me goosebumps. And it, again, it just it just wraps your arms around the listener and it just, it takes you for a ride and it's just absolutely gorgeous. last thing I'd say is that I don't want to pass from this album without talking about the title track because I think that If I Should Fall from Grace with God is a fantastic song Yeah, and it, 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 it is in a weird way um, maybe the one that you might start with if you're like worried about like oh this mm. weird Irish band with these weird Irish like you know Irishy brogy songs don't try this one. If I should fall from grace from God, was it where no doctor can relieve me? I'm buried neath the sod, but the angels won't receive me. Let me go, boys. Let me go. Let me go down in the mud where all the rivers run dry. It's such a – where did this weird, drunken, uh, gap-toothed goofball come up with these fantastic – almost timelessly traditional lyrics. It's one of these things that is really underappreciated about what McGowan was able to do as a writer, because the lyric sounds like it could have been written in the 15th century. It could have been written 500 years ago. It could have been written today. It could have been written tomorrow. It is endless, timeless, nameless, uh, but the production on that is just snappy as hell. Bury me at sea where no miracles can hurt me. If I rock upon the waves, no coast can lie upon me. Coming up threes, boys, coming up threes, boys. Let them go down in the mud where the river's out of the drive. If I should fall from grace of God, where no doctor can relieve me. If I'm buried beneath the side, Let me go, 
and they're great. Yeah. They're great storytellers too, uh, McGowan largely. But even as we see the other band members step up on this next album and into the future, they're good at it too. I mean, the, these songs are little, like little novels, right? Little three, four minute uh, novels almost, with the uh, attention to detail and the way that uh, that they're able to sort of bring the story directly to the listener. It's really well done. So this, I guess, brings us to uh, the second part of the Pogues' career. Uh, and everybody treats everything that comes after If I Should Fall From Grace as a postlude or some sort of disappointment or letdown. And the curious thing is that I used to do that as well. I guess, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm enslaved to a lot of critical uh, reputation as well but when I went back and I listened to Peace and Love and Hell's Ditch for that matter these are the albums where Shane McGowan is clearly like you know as the story goes falling into like deep alcoholism you know his voice is getting shot to hell um, I like all of these records I really think Peace and Love is hugely underrated it's an album where uh, a lot of the rest of the band steps up. You know, there there are fewer Soul McGowan Wright, you know, uh, credits. White City is a fantastic song of his, and I think I also, I also like you know Boat Train and um, London You're a Lady. That's the one that ends the album. But uh, everyone else steps up. This is actually the only album, I think, where. The entire record is written by members of the band, ironically enough. Um, um, I think there's one more. Maybe well, one, there's Pokemon, right? Right. But like, yep. but there, I think this is like secretly hugely underrated record, and I, I wonder what you guys think about it. Go well, ahead, Scott. Yeah, I'll jump. I think just point about the the rest of the band stepping up is 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 the important one here. Um, again, this is not something I've lived with for a long, long time. A lot of these these Pogues records, clearly. I'm, I'm just being introduced to them here in the last few weeks. But this one, you know, McGowan is only involved in writing six of the 14 songs, and there are, there are places, there are gaps where the rest of the band has to step up, and I think they were largely successful here on Peace and Love. Um, it's, I think it's a little uneven in places. I, I don't think it's as good as the past two albums. I'm, I'm not sure I get a big argument on that, of course. But I, I do think it's pretty darn good. The, the band behind McGowan was good enough, strong enough, to fill in those blanks where McGowan left them. Uh, White City. Start there. White City is, I think, one of their best songs. It, it's just It's got that, that big hook, kind of post-chorus, to sort of bring the ear in. Sounds fresh. Uh, this this um, uh, this comparison between old White City in uh, with the London area to, to Atlantis at one point in the lyrics. Great tin whistle, great banjo. White City is a fully realized uh, McGowan composition. We get fewer of those moving forward, but but White City is right there. Paris, shining bright, wants the cleaning in the night. Where now it's just the rubble and the hall. Hear the putties on the bus Can I gamble on the dust? Can I gamble on the dust? Not letting go All the torn up ticket stubs From a hundred thousand mugs Now washed away like the dreams 
Rains in the rain And the carpet's going up And they're pulling down the pubs It's just another bloody rain day Um, what else on here? Down All the Days is a great track. And that's one about uh, Christy Brown, who had uh, cerebral palsy, still did a lot of writing. And, and the, the, the lyrics are about how he accomplished it, which is pretty amazing. But a simple, sort of poignant song. This is the one, if you listen, that has the uh, the typewriter beat that, that starts the song. And uh, Steve Lillywhite is back to produce this album, Peace and Love. And I recalled while listening that that's a... That's a little trick he used on an album he'd produced 10 years in the future. If, if anyone knows the band Guster, they had, uh, I think their probably their biggest commercial hit was a, a album from 1999 that Steve Lillywhite produced. And there's a single called Barrel of a Gun. And in the bridge there, uh, Lillywhite uses that same trick, the typewriter, to sort of set the beat. And that, that's the way Down All the Day starts. Uh, I, I heard the Guster song first. Isn't that sad? I, I, I did too. I, I, had a, I had a big friend who was a, a similarly music-obsessed dude uh, who was a huge Guster fan yeah. in college. I saw that a couple of times Literally in, in 1999. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Down All the Days. I, I, Blue Heaven, I think, is pretty good. That's a Chevron Hunt uh, tune. Uh, there's there's some horns on there, double tracked vocal. I think Chevron and McGowan, if I'm correct, on the vocals there. The the one band that starts popping up on my radar as I listen through Peace and Love is, is Madness. Uh, I hear that a little bit on Blue yeah. Heaven, a little bit on on Young Ned of the Hill. Uh, that that's an influence that I think seeps through on on Peace and Love. Tombstone late on the album I like a lot. Uh, disappointed, maybe others will feel the same way. Uh, Lorelei, not a cover of the Sticks tune, just to make sure that people are aware going into Peace and Love. It's a different song altogether. Um, but still, still pretty good. Uh, so Thank I, God for that. The yeah. funny thing about Lorelei is that it's, <laughs> it's a very good song, but it does sound so much different. It, it does sound sort of modern rock almost. Yeah, uh, in there's terms... a few there's a few places on here where, where that's kind of the way the, the track. Yeah, they're, they're they're moving away. I mean, of course, you know, sort of the the rap on the Pogues is that in their later era that they started moving away from the sort of Irish traditional, you know, balladry and uh, sounds. But I really don't. You know, there's tons of accordion and tin whistle, if you will, on this album. But yeah, on Lorelei, that's definitely one where it's you know it, it's a Chevron song, I believe, and it's a good song, but it's very much sort of a, almost a, like a modern rock song rather than like their old standard sound. Mm-hmm. I feel like that started with Thousands Are Sailing. To me, that always felt like well, yeah. that song could have been written yeah. by a contemporary of theirs, and it obviously continues through Peace of Love and the subsequent albums. Yeah. 
So uh, you have any thoughts, Alfred? Yeah, peace and love. So again, this is continues the tradition of the Pogues getting bigger and bigger with each album. This album is, you know, as you as you mentioned, Shane's voice is sort of blown to hell. It's <laughs> it's not doing great, but there's a weird maturity, and the the bigness of it sounds like maturity, and and not in a bad '80s way. You know, this isn't Eric Clapton playing in front of a ginormous band, kind of ruining his old songs. This is this this sounds natural, and you know, I love the fact that uh, I love when bands go through their beard phase. And this is Shane McGowan with a beard. You know, he's <laughs> yes. he's older, wiser, and way drunker than he ever was. But um, I, I wish there was some way that we could offer pictures to people <laughs> listening to the podcast, so you can see what young McGowan looks like. Versus, like, you know, if I should fall from grace, McGowan, the big teeth, and then all of a sudden now he's bearded McGowan. It's a very different vibe. Yeah, and I think uh, who knows? Maybe some uh, drugs or uh, you know, we talk a lot about his drinking, but let's be honest, Shane wasn't drinking the entire time. There's a <laughs> lot of chemicals. Probably doing, probably doing other things. Oh, uh, yeah, I think we can. I don't think I'll be sued for libel for insinuating that. But um, <laughs> I think White City is a fantastic song. I think it, it is that sort of. It's a. Sl- it's like one of their older tracks, but it's slowed down a little bit, a bit more mid tempo and. It sounds older. It sounds wiser. It's still a little punky, but it has this sort of more worldly view. And again, great video. That is a great video for that mm-hmm. song. Um, uh, you were criticizing the videos earlier, but I will absolutely. I, I, I do like that one too. It's a cool, and you know, it's uh, what is it, 1989? It looks like it's way later. It doesn't look like a 1989 video. They were sort of ahead of their time. They looked almost grungy in a weird way. But uh, it's a, it's a, that's a great song. Uh, Misty Morning, Albert Bridge is a, a an interesting song because. You know, I think when I first got the album, I just assumed it was a Shane McGowan song. It's it's very much in his style, but uh, it's it's a Jim Finer written yeah. song, and it's it's one of the best songs on the album, maybe the best song on the album. So colorful in a faraway place. Sun fell cold upon my face. Cracks in the sea, spell hell. Turn to the wall. Put a sheet around my head. Tried to sleep. Dream my way. Back to you again. I, I believe it was a single as well. I yeah, it was. There were, yeah, it, it certainly was. There's a music video for that too. That's not terrible, but uh, yeah, it's a beautiful song. Uh, great ballad, um, and uh, you know, I, I would say uh, USA is an interesting song to me because it's almost like the first and only like blues song ish. Kind of a there's a bluesy feel to that song that I don't hear in any other uh, Pogue songs, and it weirdly to me sounds like a Bob Dylan song from the late '90s and 2000s. It has that weird sort of feel to it. It's very sort of um, uh, dramatic in a, in, a, in a way, theatrical. And uh, it, it reminds me of uh, later era Dylan. Uh, Bo Train is back to basics. That's sort of like Shane's last uh, rapid fire, machine gun lyric, punky uh, Irish folk song kind of thing. Uh, Bo Train is awesome. I love it. Um, 
again, great drumming. Andrew Rankin does an amazing job drumming on that song. And then, you know, London, Your Lady, it's not as good as Misty Morning Albert Bridge, but it's a Shane McGowan song. And uh, lyrics aren't as good as his previous ballads, but great way to end the album. Yeah, Peace of Love, it's not as good as If I Should Fall From Grace With God. But to me, you know, those first four records are just fantastic. It's a great run, those first four records. As good as almost anybody, I think. I don't understand why people treat peace and love as being a huge decline from the earlier stuff. Uh, it was always the way it was sold to me. It was always the way that I sort of mentally, you, you have a framework in your mind. And so you're told what to think and bam, that's the way that you, you slot things in. You go back and you listen to it and you think the band is as strong as ever. McGowan's lyrics obviously aren't as strong because clearly he's declining, but the band has stepped up in equal measure and they have a really powerful visceral force. I, I, I just, I, you know, Gridlock, I think, is a great opening song. I, 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 White City, as we already talked about. Um, but, you know, the one that I really think that should be focused on is, uh, you know, it, Scott already mentioned this, is Down All the Days. I think Down All the Days is a magnificent song. And I just wonder why we do not allow ourselves to talk about this in the same breath as Rum Sodomy and the Lash or If I Should Fall from Grace. Because I, 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 we're, we're going to get to Hell's Ditch, um, which I also think is actually not that bad. But uh, that one is sort of universally agreed as like, uh-oh, you know, like Shane McGowan has whiskey brain. He can barely even think. Um this one, I think, really still holds together very well. I think the problem is that it came after Fairy Tale of New York. They could re- yeah. they could have released Rum Sodomy and the Lash after Fairy Tale of New York, and people would have found probably something or find something to criticize. So it, it's a it's really hard to release an album after a song that's as sensational as that. Right. It's, it's you're never going to top. I mean, that's yeah, still, exactly. like, it's just still like like Britain's favorite Christmas single for yeah. a reason. So like, <laughs> you're not going to top that. No. Well, I guess that brings us to the uh, final Shane McGowan album. So why is it the final Shane McGowan album? Well, hey, look at the man's teeth. You can probably get an, a, an idea of what's going on in his personal life. There's a lot of drinking, a lot of drugging, a lot of uh, misadventure, and he's also being very unreliable in public appearances. This is the album that ends his tenure with the band. Uh, this is 1991. 
I think 1990 or 1991. I can't remember. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it was late 90s then. Um, but uh, you listen to his voice on this record, and like as as gritty and as gruff as Shane McGowan has been. Well, <laughs> now we've gotten to a new level of grit. Uh, this is crazy. Uh, I I still don't think it's bad for the same reason that like when you listen to late period Bob Dylan, like <laughs> you know, like Bob Dylan's like I'm blowing in the wind. You know, like you know he'll do like a cover version of, or I call them cover versions because they're practically reinterpretations <laughs> of like you know his older stuff, and it's like almost incomprehensible. Nobody has a problem with that because it's Dylan. I, I don't actually think in retrospect, not what I thought at the time, but what I think in retrospect, I don't think this is a terrible album. I think it isn't as good as the, the earlier ones, but like I really like Sunny Side of the Street. I really like Lorcas Novena. I really like Rainbow Man and Rain Street. These are not bad songs. And it's not a bad album. And I think that, again, it's one of those ones that should be sort of resurrected from the grave. So I'll jump in and just say, I think that these vocals are horrendously bad. (laughs) Horrendously bad. And I can't fathom why this album was released in this way. (laughs) Someone is not going to step in and say, oh my God, these vocals are terrible. The, it, I just don't. I just don't think they're that much uh, different from no, the stuff I, I, no, been doing before. I, I, don't I, know why. I hear a pretty significant difference in terms of, of quality, and and yes, yeah. even in enunciation, uh, it, it it's by far the worst, and, and and the quality is awful. There's a Joe Strummer from the Clash produced this album, and there was right. a, I was reading this story that he actually was going back and like editing syllable by syllable some of the lyrics Eek. of uh, of McGowan because he was in such terrible shape. I I really. I think there are some decent songs here. I do. I think the the, the McGowan vocals really bring the whole thing to to a to a crashing halt in a lot of places. A song like um, uh, "Ghost of a Smile," I think melodically is very good. I think the band gives a great performance. I think Daryl Hunt's bass is tremendous on the "Ghost of a Smile." McGowan's vocals are are horrible. Are horrible. Um, it's so funny of... in the play out, and we have to clip this. Like he's like saying like a girl of a smile, a girl of a smile. <laughs> like it's almost impossible to realize that he's singing "Ghost of a Smile." Yeah. Until you look at the title of the track, and you're like, oh, so that's what it is. Sayonara, Sayonara is incomprehensible. I mean, completely incomprehensible. The the, the lyrics, uh, more so than previously, uh, and yet, as I said, there are there are, there are still some I think good songs brought to the table and good moments. Rain Street is perhaps the the, the one track on the album where everything comes together in the right way. In in my yeah, mind, the vocals are just good enough. 
they kind of match the the mood of the lyrics. It's a it's a hot performance from the band. Uh, I think Rain Street's the the best you get on on Hell's Ditch. Uh, the back portion of it, I, I think, suffers quite a bit, kind of limping to the finish line. I don't like a lot in the pat in the last what quarter or so, I would say. Um, but man, uh, man, those vocals! It is. It's worth a listen. Much like speaking of Joe Strummer, uh, "Cut the Crap" from the Clash is worth a listen just to hear how how awful. Like, how could the Clash put out "Cut the Crap"? This is you know, the songs here aren't as bad, but I still think you listen and say, how could an album be released with the vocals sounding this? horrible and that's really my lasting impression of hell's ditch well i mean one of my other lasting impressions of hell's ditch is that how how could we have gone this long without pointing out the obvious truth that house of the gods is so obviously clearly (laughs) and flagrantly plagiarized from the beach boys it is literally you still believe in me uh, from Pet Sounds, you know the it opens with it, it closes with it <laughs> on the Beach Boys song and on this song, and nobody ever got a lawsuit filed. I'm just amazed. You know, there's a weird connection between the Pogues and the Beach Boys. Uh, so apparently, I might get a couple of facts wrong, but there's an old Shane legend that he was, I think, tripping on acid and ate a Beach Boys record. <laughs> because he consumed the vinyl. I mean, because okay. of something that he thought it was some kind of American propaganda. <laughs> In a Cold World War society, something like that. But that's a legendary shame. He took Pet Sounds into himself and regurgitated <laughs> it into that song. So it's very know? possible, yeah, that, that, that they didn't rip off that song. That's just him belching, perhaps. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh gosh, yeah. boy! You know, we just validated the entire belief system of those, like you know, like, Polynesian cannibal uh, societies. I'm, I'm, I'm just so glad that we've gotten here. But yeah, I actually think the House of the Gods is a good song, but it's a good song primarily because Brian Wilson is a great songwriter, <laughs> and not necessarily because Shane McGowan is. And so yeah, that is a definite moment of weakness. So a few things about Hell's Ditch is that this was the album that I I owned the first four for many, 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 many years. And I love them, cherish them. And I always avoided Hell's Ditch because I'd always read horrible, horrible things about it. And it depressed me that that was his, uh, Shane's last album. And it no one seemed to have great things to say about it. But a couple of years ago, I got into it and I, I finally bought it. And it, because my expectations were so low, I... It, I actually like the album. It's not nearly as good as the other ones, but it, there's some weird highlights. And to me, it's also like, um, uh, this is the Pogues almost doing dad rock. There's just sort of, some of them are just like kind of great mid-tempo rock songs. And, you know, with the little Pogues things here and there with the Irish instruments and uh, Shane's uh, shattered voice. But for the most part, they're kind of just kind of great pop ditties in, in a weird way. Also, I should know, I think you could hear in some of the songs, my guess is that this is around the time Shane lost his two front teeth. Like, I, I think they're pretty gone at this point if we're keeping tabs. They were just like little nubbins up until this point, but I think that they're actually gone here. Um, you know, I like Sunny Side of the Street, great album opener. Like the song's almost, the album's almost worth it for that song. Great, great tune. Um, you know, Sayonara is all right. It sounds like it, like it, like is a um, sort of an inferior track that would have been a throwaway on "If I Should Fall from Grace" with God, but it's pretty catchy. "Ghost of a Smile" um, is interesting because you actually hear an electric guitar on a Pogues album. Um, yeah, which, I, it feels like the first time ever. Right? Yeah, it does, and it actually sounds that song is very much in the style of Shane's two solo records, which I own and actually like. Uh, and so the, a lot of the songs sound like that. The song Hell's Ditch actually weirdly reminds me of like Gogol Bordello, that like gypsy punk band uh, from New York uh, right. that ever that are very pogsy in their own sort of uh, Eastern European way. And uh, crazy lyrics in Hell's Ditch. And Summer of Siam is a song that I know a lot of Pokes fans I think really, really like. I think it's just okay. I think it's a fine song. I, I, there's nothing in it that is super... Uh, that is super interesting to me, but overall hell's ditch is fine there. It's not, it doesn't have any of the highs that the other albums do, but you know, it's, if you're expecting it to be trash, it's actually pretty good. If you expect it to be great, uh, it's, right. it, it's going to let you down. The problem with yeah. Summer of Siam for me, by the way, is I always just imagine Shane McGowan in like an opium den somewhere. Well, that's the video, uh, well, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, like, like I just imagine him, like, just like, like completely, like you know, like getting blasted out of his mind on like hash and opium, and like, 
you know, that's actually what was happening in real life. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not – you can't really enjoy it because if you knew anything about like, the story of the band at that point, it was what was actually happening to them. And, in fact, this is what comes next. They fired him. Well, can I also say along those lines, like <laughs> – he, you, we were talking about Peace and Love, how he didn't contribute that much. He wrote nine songs on Hell's Ditch. That was incredible. When I first realized that, that was stunning to me, that he was still, like, that's being pretty prolific if you wrote and, nine songs for the record. And they're not bad songs. No. Like, it's just that he wasn't, like, able to stand upright and perform them <laughs> <Yes>. properly. And <laughs> that's the problem. They fired him primarily because, like, they would go to gigs and he would literally not be functional. He couldn't even stand upright and sing at a microphone. This is, by the way, in McGowan was always just a vocalist. He didn't play the instruments. He played he guitar was, early on, but then he, he played gave. guitar early on, but like they, they, they handed that over to other people. And so he basically just had to stand in front of a microphone and belt out those words in his own sort of semi incoherent way. And he couldn't even do that. Imagine how bad, a drunkard you have to be for the pogues to fire you. Uh, that's how bad McGowan had gotten at that point. And so what we have left are these last two records, which are the McGowan list rec the McGowan list records. And I guess I want to know what you guys think of like waiting for herb and Pogue Mahone. Can I say that uh, like you look at the pogues on paper and the Pogues without Shane McGowan, like, why on earth would they fire Shane McGowan? You know, like, what the hell were they thinking? Like, that's got to be the dumbest thing you could possibly do. He was the identity of the band. He never said he was the leader. He would sort of uh, distance himself from that. But, I mean, the guy wrote the majority of their songs and was such a charismatic figure. Why would they do that? And I thought a lot about that. And I was thinking that, you know, Late 70s, early 90s, there was a string of popular bands that got away with it. There was Genesis, got away with it. Uh, ACDC got away with it. Van Halen got away with it. Like, you know, Joy Division, New Order got away with it. I would dispute the fact that Genesis got away with it. <laughs> well, if you, I mean, have you heard Calling All Stations? That is not a good album. Well, you know, they, I mean, they got away with it in terms of being successful. And I think that as the band, they thought, oh, we could probably do that too. And in a way, they got sort of negative reinforcement in the fact that they had really good luck. At, right, Like right after uh, Shane left the band, they got Joe Strummer to go on tour with them. Yeah. Like, yeah. the greatest punk vocalist ever to fill in for Shane McGowan. And so like they had actually a pretty successful tour and they were probably thinking, oh, we can get away with anything. And then for waiting, uh, waiting for her, they had uh, Tuesday morning, which is, I, you know, I don't want to like this album and I don't like this album, but I love that song. That's a great song. It sounds like uh, the cure in a lot of ways. It sounds like the like late eighties cure. But, um, and they had a hit, like their second biggest hit of all time. Yes. So like they thought that they could kind of do no wrong. And I think 
that explains the fact that they even recorded an album without Shane, let alone two. I think Tuesday Morning is a fantastic song. It's great. I, I, you're right. It, it, I don't feel like it, it doesn't sound – they had moved away like thousands are sailing. Okay, Chevron song – that doesn't feel maybe like an Irish traditional yeah. pogish song, but it feels like a pogue song. Tuesday morning doesn't feel like a pogue song to no. me. It feels like, well, this is a good pop song, which is strange because you know it's it's from Spider Stacy. He was their tin whistle, their tin whistle player. This is a band that had a devoted tin whistle player who then became their lead vocalist. That's the it's a very story. common tale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Happens all the time. Uh, good song, a really fun song, uh, but it, you know, it just sounds as as you know, Alfred said, it sounds kind of like a Cure song. You know, it doesn't sound like a Pogue song, and I just don't really care for much of the rest of this record. No, and I will say, you know, there's these other songs on that record that are like Middle Eastern inspired, and every time I hear. It, a note from those songs. I just think, you know, uh, uh, I know Turkish Song of the Damned. I've rocked out to Turkish Song <laughs> of the Damned. You, sir, are no Turkish Song of the Damned. Like they got, they just are <laughs> replaying some of their older songs and just uh, not doing it successfully. Yeah, yeah. But between Turkish Song of the Damned, Camper Van Beethoven, and the Peter Gabriel world beat genre. I don't need to hear this. Yes. That's kind of where I'm falling to. Scott? I would just say that um, it seems like each band member had like one decent idea to contribute because, you know, there are a whole bunch of songwriters on here, people who had not written before are writing on this album. Uh, Spider Stacy had Tuesday Morning. Good idea. Um, I like Haunting a little bit from Terry Woods. All right. Once Upon a Time from Finer. Good. Uh, even Big City from Daryl Hunt, the bassist, is okay. That's about the best that they could do, and the rest of the album doesn't even match that level. So it's, I, I suppose, worth hearing once. Tuesday Morning was a top uh, 20 hit for the band. I think their second biggest single ever, as uh, as Alfred mentioned. But uh, it, 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 it's, it's there's no edge whatsoever. And that, you know, even if yeah. McGowan's vocals were shredded on the last album, at least there was a, a sense of danger <laughs> to, to some of the songs. And, that, and that's mainly missing, almost entirely missing from uh, Waiting for Herb. And by the way, just want to take a moment here to pause and say, please join National Review Institute for its regional seminar series this spring. These half-day conferences will take place in cities across the country with stops in Newport Beach on March 24th, San Francisco on the 25th, Dallas on April 14th, Houston on April 15th, New York on May the 11th, and Philadelphia on the 12th. And will feature National Review talent including Charlie Cook, Kevin Williamson, Ramesh Panuru, Kyle Smith, Jay Nordlinger, and Maddie Kearns discussing the perennial fight against socialism and the importance of culture. Rich Lowry will be giving the keynote address at each event for his latest book, The Case for Nationalism. I hope you'll join us. For more information and to register, please visit www.nrinstitute.org. So I guess that brings us to the final Pogues album. Uh, the album's name is an ill omen indeed. It's called Pogue Mahone, which, of course, the entire idea of the Pogues band name was to be named after the phrase Pogue Mathon, uh, which is basically kiss my ass for 
Yeah, it's funny. We've gotten all the way through this podcast and we didn't even explain that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's Gaelic, um, uh, Irish. And this is an album that's just called Pogmahone, which almost sounds like an intentional, you know, attempt to reclaim, like, oh, this is our identity. This is who we are. It's three years after Waiting for Herb. Uh, it's 1997, 96, something like that. Um, I just have never had a good thought to offer for this record. But, and this is the fun thing about political beats, I know that we have somebody here on this show who has a very different opinion from me. And I guess we would like to let them go first. Oh, I... I was joking. That's uh, what I thought. <laughs> uh, shit. All right. Well, uh, I was like, I thought you were. I thought you were dead serious because oh I think goodness. I no. think this is a terrible record, oh and I word. was like wondering, no. wonder. I was like, wow, he really likes. For those who don't understand, in our, you know, we do these little pre-beats, you know, show oh, notes. Sorry. And, and, and Alfred was like, yeah, I really want to go to bat. I, I really think Punk Mahone is a great album. I was like. I didn't say anything. I was just like, what? Um, I I was like, what do you see in that that I don't? And I didn't comment on it. I was just like, well, we're going to let this little surprise unfold on the show. But apparently he was just stringing us along all along. I am. My apologies. This album, for me, it's garbage. Um, Yeah. When the ship comes in is not a horrible, horrible, horrible cover. It's kind of uh, kind of nice. But uh, no, no. I I I mean, it's nice because Bob Dylan wrote a good song. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it, even the album cover is so lazy and just it's just such a slap in the face. I think the Pogues fans and to uh, Shane McGowan himself. It's just why do no one was asking for this record? <laughs> the album that no one demanded. Yeah, exactly. It's not, awful. Not to go back to the cut the crap reference, but this is like you know Joe Strummer putting "We Are the Clash" on "Cut the Crap." You know, naming this yes! Pogues Mahone. Oh, that's to... so good. Oh my god, that's like almost that's almost unfortunately apt as a reference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, you know, I, I like that Clash episode, if only for the reason I can make these cut the crap references. I've actually heard that album. I know how bad it is. Yeah, right. Right. Well, well, well that's the thing. Like when you have to announce the identity of your band, <laughs> like in a song title or on the album cover, like yeah, that means that you really are concerned, probably rightfully so, that people do not think that you are that band any longer. <laughs> and yeah. It's just, this is this is not a good record. I don't. I mean, is there anything that anyone can find something good to say about it? I don't want to be relentlessly negative. I, I I'd feel bad if we ended on a downbeat note like that. I mean, but, it's not like it's not like it's uh, in a vacuum. It's not like it's the worst thing in the entire world. It's not like entirely one hundred percent unlistenable. Just in the context of the band's history, there's no need for this record. It, they all sound like songs that have no business being on a pogues record or you know they're throwaway they're demos they 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 all should be unreleased poke songs it doesn't make really much sense to me no i agree well i hate to end things on a downer but that's where we well, have we don't to. have to by the way let's just point out that shane reunited with the pogues that's right yeah. they he currently got, tour he got teeth at some point apparently Apparently, it's it's a good show. He's not as much of a ruinous drunkard as he used to be, and his teeth, now that they've been replaced, are far better. So 
uh, I think the, the greatest miracle of all is that we can say that like Shane McGowan lives. Um, so many others do not. How is it even possible? I don't know. But the, the man's still alive. He 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 breathes air. He sings. He performs. Uh, I'm shocked. So like, let's let's all raise a glass. Uh, but don't offer him one because he probably doesn't need to drink. Um, he is still there. The Pogues still play, and this music still lives on. So he is in a wheelchair right now. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, and I apparently, according to his uh, wife Victoria, he is not drinking at the moment. Uh, at the moment, yeah. Give him, so, give him an so, hour. Yeah. I will say his two solo records with the band The Popes. Yep, he went on tour with Shane McGowan. Shane McGowan and the Popes, yeah. And, uh, you know, The Snake, his first one, not terrible. There's some great stuff in there. Um, there's a song called The Song With No Name that is uh, continues with his great tradition of ballads. And uh, another album, Crock of Gold, that is not as good as The Snake. Uh, but it's a great, great tune. Lonesome Highway is another great ballad. And then I like the fact that B&I Ferry is a song that you hear Shane McGowan sing dub reggae. So that's interesting. But I, I like those two records. And if you are a big Pogues fan and you haven't gotten them, it, they, you definitely should, especially if you own yeah. Waiting for Herb and Pogue Mahone. There's no reason why you shouldn't own The Snake and Crock of Gold. They're both <laughs> pretty fun records. I, I think The Snake in particular is yes. a pretty good album, actually. Yeah. Shane, uh, Shane O'Connor's on there. And you forget, she has such a beautiful voice. And she adds a lot to Shane McGowan's songs. And they do some good duets on that. Yeah, Sh- Sinead O'Connor may be kind of bonkers, like in as a person, but how dare you? How d- well, you know, fight the real enemy. Come on, Alfred. I think um, kind of ahead of her time on that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, the thing, the thing about her is that, like you know, as you pointed out, her voice is just immaculate, and mm-hmm. so yes, it really, really does help. And the, the the contrast and the dynamics between his voice and her voice is right, right. You know, compelling. It, it, because his his choir boy vocals really contrast well against her very rough-hewn, whiskey-torn throat. <laughs> right, exactly. All yeah. right, Scott. There we go. Yes, the uh, political beats look at the Pogues. And we come to the episode, a part of the episode, in which all the hosts give you the two albums from our band that you should own and the five songs that you need to hear. We turn to our guest first, Alfred Schultz, former Sirius XM host and producer, current podcast producer, Alfred your choices for the two albums and the five songs, please. Um, you know, I, obviously this is very, very difficult, and I'm going to be slightly controversial. Uh, Pope Mahone, I'm only going to that, – that's it. Ah, <laughs> just one. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to choose one. No, uh, I'm going to do Red Roses for me uh, because I know, uh, you know, Rem Sodomy and the Lash is such a classic record. It's one of the best records I own. I, I absolutely love that record, but there's something about – the band forming and sort of creating that genre. There's there's just so much life in that record and so much enthusiasm. And I, I Shane is young and youthful in it. And that's a treasure to behold to like a document that uh, captured that. And so I absolutely love Red Roses for me. And, and of seriously, course, it, it is just so funny to hear him when his voice doesn't yeah. sound utterly racked oh. by cigarettes and alcohol. And they're young punks, and they sound like young punks in the best way possible. And it's just just a phenomenal debut record. Um, and, of course, If I Should Fall From Grace With God is uh, one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, for the songs, I, I'm going to be pretty – I mean, Fairy Tale of New York, one of the greatest songs of all time. I mean, definitely one of the best Christmas songs. And just – a uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, Rainy Night in Soho, we didn't talk about it too much, but truly, especially the uh, Steve Lillywhite mix, I, 
a continuation of Fairy Tale of New York in terms of just a beautiful ballad, uh, descriptive words about uh, uh, his love. Uh, it just it's a warm blanket and it's just absolutely gorgeous. I would love for a married couple to have their uh, first dance at their wedding be that song. I would like to see that. We watched our friends grow up together And we saw them as they fell Some of them fell into heaven Some of them fell into hell I took shelter from a shower And I stepped into your arms On a rainy night in Soho uh, Body of an American. Uh, we talked about that at length. Just perfect, perfect Pogue song. It, it, it encapsulates sort of everything they do well in one song. Uh, and my, probably my weirdest choice is Billy's Bones. Only recently in the past few years have I been listening to that song a lot. And I don't know what it is, man. That just hits me right in the gut. I think Shane has uh, said once uh, that, you know, the Pogue's music should bypass the intellect and hit you straight in the heart. And that's exactly what that song does with great, crazy lyrics. But just, it, again, it sounds like punk rock from the 1700s. It's unbelievable. Um, and then the broad, majestic, the broad, majestic Shannon just encapsulates everything I love about Shane McGowan. His romanticism of uh, a woman, his romanticism of Ireland, uh, his sort of just poetic soul is on full display in that song. The band sounds great. And it's just... A hauntingly beautiful song. All right. For my uh, two albums, If I Should Fall From Grace With God, and I'll just back one up, and uh, Rum, Sodomy, and The Lash. Th those two, I think, are the ones you should have. Five songs, and I have no idea if these are or would be the, 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 the default picks or the popular picks. Uh, they're just my picks. So A Transmetropolitan, first song, first, or first album, first song, is one that is a great introduction to the band. Uh, a Pair of Brown Eyes. And then Turkish Song of the Damned, which might be my favorite song from the band. I, I really like Turkish Song of the Damned, White City, and uh, and Thousands Are Sailing. Uh, those are my five songs. Jeff? Okay, so uh, my two, and I hate to come immediately after Scott when I have to repeat what he says, but of course Same my two. Uh, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I mean, my two albums are Rum, Sodomy, and The Lash. And if I should fall from grace with God, I do want to emphasize, though, that <clears throat> that run basically from Red Roses all the way even. Yeah, even the Hell's Ditch, bad vocals and all. Uh, it's all worth hearing. And yeah. you, you, you don't want to ignore the EPs and the singles and the B-sides and, and the sort of the spare tracks as well. This is a great band and a weird band. And, a niche, I suppose, bad. But then I, you know, Talk Talk, I suppose, was also a niche band. And you know how, like, fanatically obsessive I am about them. Um, great albums and in a great discography. My five, my top five pr tracks, uh, they're basically an all hover around that 1986-88, you know, era. I, I guess the sick bed of Kukulain, uh from the opening of uh, Rum Sodomy is amazing. Uh, I'll say 
the title track on If I Should Fall from Grace with God, I think is something. We didn't really actually spend a lot of time talking about it, but it's as close to like a pop hit or at least, you know, a potential pop hit as the band ever had. I really like it. Fairy Tale of New York. We've talked about it enough. Everyone else loves it, too. It's just a masterpiece. It's the greatest Christmas song of all time. Uh, but it, it isn't just, you know, you know, maudlin sentiment. It's something that's genuinely touching and hard, and it has, you know, a true core to it that, that, that you really end up remembering long after you've heard the song. Thousands are sailing. Scott mentioned that one. I, 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 I agree. I think that that's one of the best songs. And of course, it's a, it's a Chevron song. It's Phil Chevron. It's not, it's not uh, Shane McGowan. And the final one I'll mention, of course, is Body of an American off of the Poetry in Motion EP. Uh, this is a song that, you know, how can you listen to it here in America and, and not get completely riled up about because, you know, every time you hear it, when it gets to that chorus, you, you just want to shout out the truth that I'm a red blooded son of the USA. That is, that is the Pogues. That is the mystery and the joy of their weird English, Irish, American fusion. And uh, we'll guess and, end by saying happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you. Big thanks to our guest on this program, former Sirius XM host and producer, current podcast producer. You find him on Twitter, at Alfred Schultz. Alfred Schultz, thank you so much for joining us to talk about the Pogues. Can't thank you enough. Uh, I was happy to weasel my way on here, and I'm honored to be here. Um, and just, yeah, happy Pogues listening. Thank you so much, guys. Jeff, uh, another fine program. And I, th- I, I think, if our conversations have been correct, there, there's a big one coming up. <laughs> Who are you? You guys are doing Led Zeppelin? Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Zepp's awesome. (laughs) Find uh, Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Subscribe to our feed for new episodes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to nationalreview.com. Listen, enjoy, share, and leave reviews so others can find the show as well. Follow us on Twitter, enjoy the conversation, join the conversation at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. <laughs>